You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Sub here. It's been a while, but we're glad to be back. Excited to be joined by one of our favorites. David Keatsman is here from the 2011 class. One of our favorite alums, longtime board member. Designed a lot of our cool collateral over the years. So excited to have him on the pod. Let's get to it. All right, David, we were talking before we started re- recording um, a little bit about your company, Momentum Solutions. Give me the short and sweet on that. So you wanted to go out on your own and start your own consulting shop. So what does Momentum Solutions do? Yeah, we're a social impact uh, marketing agency based here in L.A. And, you know, it's tough. When I transitioned from the nonprofit world, I didn't want to be a consultant. And uh, so Momentum Solutions brings together six of us. There's six partners we all work together to tell the stories of our clients. So it's exciting work just because there's a lot of good work being done in LA. Um, we work with nonprofits, foundations, and social impact businesses. And then uh, I've had a chance to check out your office in one of the working space buildings. What is the culture like of the cross campus we work kind of scene? What, what kind of things do you feel like are advantageous about being in a space like that? And what are some of the drawbacks of being in a space like that? Yeah, it's neat because we've we've been we've had offices both in WeWork and Cross Campus, like definitely competitors here in LA for that co-working space. And you know, at first when we first took that tour, I think you don't think you're going to be productive at all because there's all these fun, <laughs> fun things to do. You know, beer on tap, kombucha, coffee, uh, margarita Mondays, like crazy <laughs> stuff. Like, I mean, but it's I think it all fosters this culture of. Hustle for good. That's kind of WeWork's slogan or tagline. But um, it's it's you know although there's you know mainly for profits in there, but there's actually a handful of nonprofits, and it's just this new way of working. And I think anyone who comes to our spot, our our spot on Wilshire, um, realizes like that this energy when you're in a in a room with people who are all hustling, like and it's not hustle. I think has a sometimes a bad connotation, like you're working nonstop. But I think a lot of well, especially at our firm, like one of our core values is work-life balance. So we'll we'll hustle during the day and, and relax or party or do, you know, have that personal time on our own, whether it's with our families or friends, but but valuing that, hey, we want to get we want to get work done, um, yeah. especially because we're hustling for good, we, we think. Yeah. yeah. And then one of the interesting things about having the this podcast and talking to a lot of NLC alums, both in LA and then in other parts of the country, folks who have kind of gone out on their own, started consulting shops or their own nonprofits is that that early phase and, and trying to gin up business that you can then make into lasting clients. How did that work for you guys? Did you already have folks in mind when you started? Did you have to really start from scratch and you had zero and you've only built over time? What was the initial, say, two to three months like? Totally. Um, it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 rough. I mean, or it's exciting. I mean, it's, it's all of those emotions wrapped into one when you're launching anything new. I think when your livelihood is on the line, I think you definitely, you, you're in hustle mode. Um, so building business is the top priority. I think our, our business model made sense, like six of us joining forces, um, each of us having 15 to 20 years of ex- experience in the communications kind of social impact realm. So we're relying on each other's relationships. I think that that really jumpstarted us. That That took us from like you know, we could have been struggling for a couple of years, but having us, having folks come in with a similar mindset and set of values um, really made it seem like we aren't just another consulting firm. We, we can compete with other agencies that have been around longer. So it's, 
it's nice and that supportive structure. But the first couple of months, for sure, it's, it's um, it can get a little rough, especially it can be scattered, you know, because you might not, we didn't have an office space for a year. We worked out of coffee shops. Um, so to build up the budget to be able to afford space was one of our first priorities. And then of the folks that you've worked with so far, what's a client that stands out as somebody that you either were surprised you ended up working for or somebody that you definitely wanted to work for and you created some some great work that you're really proud of? What kind of one client stands out so far? You know, one of our longest standing clients is, is a, it isn't a surprise to me, but they're doing great work that people don't know about the Southern California College Access Network. And I, hmm. I point them out just because they're, they're a three-person staff, but we've been their communications department for over two years now. And um, I think it's, I think organizations we work for are realizing that you really, especially in this era of kind of, uh, of Trump, to be blunt, like uh, taking the spotlight on everything, nonprofits and foundations, anyone who wants to be known has to put an emphasis on communication. So SoCal can, um, we partnered with them early on just because they knew they represent most of the college access nonprofits in Southern California. So um, it's a network uh, collaborative based nonprofit. And so they don't necessarily run, actively run programs on the ground necessarily, but they're giving resources and advocating for the nonprofits doing the work. So it's a great model, I think, you know, there, there's, it's harder running a network model like that from my perspective, now that we've worked with, with other networks and, and plenty of other nonprofits, but they're, they're one that pops to mind. Uh, there's plenty of others that I could share about, but, um, since you asked, yeah. Yeah. And then what do you think about building brands? And we we're talking a little bit before we started recording as well about how you get attention in the, the Trump era. When you think about comms, like, what do you see? Uh, organizations, either nonprofits or other folks, doing doing wrong. Like, what's keeping them from getting the attention that they definitely deserve, based on the quality of work that they're doing? I think what we're seeing nowadays, and this is across the the spectrum from from nonprofit to business, is people not being bold enough. I feel like, at least in traditional business marketing, you, you kind of go to you, you're bold right up front. But at least a lot of the good people that we work with want to be um, they're modest, right? I mean, they're they, they believe in the work. They don't want to toot their own horn. They don't. Um, they don't think they're worthy of like praise or worthy of press. And so, a lot of times, we start off in this coaching mode, um, acknowledging all their their work, acknowledging the impact they're making, convincing them that they, you know, they need to be top of mind. And I think I think people get it nowadays. At least in the last year, the more we pitch, the more we talk to people. Um, because it's hard. It's harder than ever to, 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 you know, we do public relations as one of our services and it's the pitching in the last three years is, has been harder in the last six months. Um, building brands has been harder, but I think people get it that they need to be more, more bold and really embrace that. And so there's no, there's no more of this middle ground. So I think it's harder if you, especially at the nonprofit level, if you're an organization that, that kind of just runs programs to say it, I mean, that doesn't sound great, but like, cause those are essential, like after school programs is a really hard sell. So mm -hmm. what, what makes that special and what, what impact are you making? What are you going to stand for? And so, um, that's some kind of soul searching there, setting your values and then claiming it. Yeah. Uh, more questions on this when we come back, I'm definitely curious about 
splitting the difference between being bold, being provocative, how you balance some of the donor life. So uh, if you're interested in these questions, stay tuned. We'll be right back after the short break. Yeah, David, because we're you're working with a lot of nonprofits and I'm sure there's a lot of either foundations funding them, maybe individuals, maybe there's grant terms to be held to. How do you work with a group that you want to see be more bold because you see great work that they're doing that they definitely should get attention for, but they feel an apprehension about some of the consequences that may come from that if they overstep because they're kind of hemmed in by uh, folks that are giving them money. Yeah, that's it's. This is definitely a real dilemma. Um, a couple of our our clients are major foundations here in LA, and so you know sometimes we're running their their comms work, and sometimes they're funding us to work with nonprofits that they fund because they they know they need that extra support. Um, I think in philanthropy, philanthropy at different levels, some I think some folks know the power they have over nonprofits, the influence. And some folks don't want to recognize that level of influence. Um, I've, by having led a couple nonprofits, I know that you know. Unfortunately, you 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 want to appease your funders. I, I think it's just it's kind of common sense, but we also take it to a whole level, a whole extreme level um, that isn't healthy sometimes. So um, I think it's also this goes back to being knowing what you stand for as a nonprofit. What are your organizational values? Um, being willing to say no, someone taught me early on, like not all money is good money. So I, you know, you want to say yes to money, but I think as a nonprofit, it's hard if you're, you know, um, just thinking about what your funders needs are and what actually are your needs. So we definitely, we definitely hear that. And then on the flip side of that, have you ever had a case where someone totally embraces being very bold, being very provocative, but they actually get too far out in front of what they deliver from a programmatic standpoint and their advertising or their promotion is so uh, compelling, but there's actually not what they're doing uh, that they get in over their heads. Have you seen cases like that? Yeah, we've, we've seen a couple, I think not, not so many, but like we've, we've seen groups who don't necessarily do advocacy policy work kind of, uh, get involved in that. And that's just a whole nother, uh, beast, you know? So if you don't know that if you're used to running programs and we're on the programmatic side and you're, you're tackling bigger issues on the policy and advocacy level, um, it can get, it can get into interesting dilemmas, you know, um, and, and potential and a lot of more drama than you might be expecting just because I think a lot of times with social media, you don't realize how many su- people support you. Um, whether it's liking your page or following you, you know, so we've definitely seen online backlash from nonprofits who, who might not be traditionally progressive, but then start yeah. advocating, advocating for certain issues, um, mainly through their social media and then getting that, getting those comments, getting you know, donor <laughs> feedback and getting, you know, even, even board members calling you and say, Hey, I didn't know we were taking that position. So I think, uh, you know, although it might be, and a lot of times the, the ED, the leadership are leading those, those posts or those campaigns or signing on to that letter of support. Cause I think it's a lot of times it's at that simple level, like, Hey, we'll support our partner on that. But they don't realize, I think you just don't realize the ripple effects. Yeah. And then where do you see momentum solutions in 
12 months, where do you guys want to be? You want to be bigger? You want to be the same size? What are some of the goals in the coming year? Yeah, I think we're building, we're definitely building the business to grow. Um, we're looking up to build, to bring on another partner or two. Um, and I think, you know, not necessarily growth, but, but depth is uh, a value of us, of ours. We want to, to be more intentional about our work, love to take on more, more campaign level work. So marketing strategy related to larger statewide campaigns. Um, you know, I, you know, everyone talks about growing bigger, but I think it's, there's some big issues that, that we're dealing with. And I think, um, I think like the diversity of perspectives from our team and the fact that we're, most of us are from LA makes it really unique. So we're, to be honest, we struggle of, of whether or not we should expand beyond LA as far as our, our niche, because most marketing firms aren't from LA. They're running services or branches here in LA. Um, but don't represent the communities of LA. So yeah, good question. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. And then uh, last thing, whenever we have guests on who have children, uh, moms or dads, we always ask what kind of approach are you taking to raise a progressive child? So you have a kiddo, yeah. um, getting up there in age, right? Four or five range, four year old, five year old range. Yep. How do you ensure that the kiddo is going to turn out progressive? Yeah, that's a good question. I should have prepped for that one. <laughs> I've heard, heard you ask that before. Um, you know, for uh, sometimes it comes down to the simple things like what they're reading. You know, what what we're reading, making sure we're getting books that represent different worldviews. Um, some it definitely comes down to the language in the household that we use, um, using inclusive language so that that he's hearing. Um, different words come out, come out of our mouth, not just you guys, you know, but um, <laughs> different words. And also, I think, you know, he's at that age where he he's, especially in school, I realized how much, uh, never really realized it before, but at a young age, how much uh, gender stereotypes are enforced at that young age. So I think it's, it's making sure he realizes that, you know, not all firemen, uh, you know, firefighters are male. Um, making sure all, not all princesses are, you know, have to be a certain gender. So I think it's those simple things. It's like constant reinforcement. So it definitely takes some, some effort to do that. Yeah. Nice. And then last thing while I have you, any quick plugs for anyone listening who is considering joining NLC LA in 2019? Apps are open. We'll close on October 1st. What's your short plug for someone taking the plunge with us? For sure. So my I, man, hard to make it short and sweet, but you know, it'll. I think it changes the. It could change the course of your of your life or career, and that sounds dramatic. But I think the the people you meet, the ideas you're exposed to, the um, the training, the actual trainers that come in is quality. So I think you know it's a chance to if you're in that 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 stage of your life or your career where when you're wondering what's next or how do I make a larger impact this, this would be the program for you. Love it. Well, listen, thanks for all your contributions over the years. And thanks for everyone for listening to this episode of the Zag. It's actually the 90th one. You can catch all previous 89 in the iTunes store, Google, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, where podcasts are, the Zag is there. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. We'll catch you soon.